This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Knight. And this is Playing Playing With Science. Science. Today we leap, we fly, we bounce, we balance, we spin, somersault and twist. And all with the breathtaking grace and elegance in the pursuit of a perfect ten. Oh, yeah. And who better to guide us through the beam bars, floor, and vault than Samantha Pesek of the 2008 U.S. Women's Olympic team, which, uh, by the way... Uh, took home the silver that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. not bad. No, not bad. Not bad at all. And dropping the science on us is none other than our good friend, Dr. Phil Cheatham from the U.S. Olympic Center in Chula Vista, California, and himself a two-time Olympic gymnast, member of the Australian Olympic team in 76 and Mm. 1980. That's right. Three times, not once, not twice, three times national Australian all-round gymnastics championship, champion rather, and 20 national titles in individual events alone. Um, Yeah, he's the right guy to talk to. I think he might just be. Yeah. Dr. Phil Cheatham, how are you, sir? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. Awesome, awesome. So, gymnastics, first of all, you were a gymnast, right? Is that the case? That is true, yes. And, and what was your event? What, did you, what was your specialty? I know a lot of gymnasts compete in many different events, but they all have a specialty. What was your specialty? Well, that's true. I, I was an all-arounder, and to compete at the Olympic level back when I was a gymnast, you had to do all-around, and I competed for 20 years, so... Um, in that time, to be honest with you, I liked all different types of uh, apparatus, all the different equipment, but my best was definitely vaulting. Ooh. Um, out of the six times I competed at uh, the Australian Championships, I won vaulting five out of the six times. 
So I was very fast twitch. I could tumble and I could vault really well. Oh, so it's naturally gifted. Yeah. Doctor, answer this, because I, when I've watched Olympics and the gymnastics, uh, particularly the floor exercises, I will see a, a gymnast tumble, land, and then pop. I mean, almost vertically into a somersault or whatever it is and think, well, where did that power come from? Where did that transfer of energy happen? Could you explain that from a gymnast and a scientific <coughs> point of view for me? Yeah, that's become very popular lately. We call it rebound tumbling. And uh, it's been, honestly, it's been facilitated by the increase in the springiness of the floor. I mean, ah. the floor is not just a mat. It's actually got springs underneath it. Ah. Um, so that really floor doping. humongous difference. Is that floor doping? <laughs> <laughs> They're doping the floor. It, it? But, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely lifted the tumbling skills and... Uh, you know, we're doing doubles with twists and triples and incredible stuff, and then just bouncing straight into another somersault. So what sort of forces are in play in, say, a tumbling routine or a vaulting routine where you've got that build-up of momentum and speed and then the explosion and the twists and the rotations? Well, you're in contact with the ground when you're tumbling that fast for less than a about a tenth of a second, maybe a 0.15 of a second. Uh -huh. And in that time, you're going to experience about 10 times your own body weight. So wow. it's uh, incredible forces. Now, it is mitigated by the fact that you've got a mat and you've got a sprung floor. But nevertheless, it, it, it's explosive. And uh, that's why it bangs when it goes, because it literally is explosive. The forces are huge. Uh, you yourself were an Olympic gymnast and you yourself now in your capacity with the US Olympic Center in Chula Vista, California, work with world-class gymnasts and athletes. What would you say the one single thing that would make a world-class gymnast? I think it's tenacity. Wow. It's the ability to hang in there through all the injuries, through all the training, through all the depression, the difficulties, and just keep coming out. Every time you get knocked down, you get back up, and you just keep on going. Gary just mentioned the fact that you are the uh, senior sport technologist uh, at the Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista. What, what are you responsible for in the development of these uh, athletes? What is it that you do? Well, that's an interesting question. My job is to help our athletes in, uh, improve their performance more rapidly so that we can win more medals at the Olympic Games. Mm. My job, since I'm called a technologist, is to find the best and most current technology that can help us feedback information to them about the skills they're doing and how to improve those skills. How are you going about analyzing their technique? Because it, in the end, the execution of the routine is what's going to get them the extra points. Am I correct? Correct. And, and when you learn a skill, obviously, you're pretty shaky at it. And so um, you repeat that skill over and over again. And you use video feedback. Uh, it's primary. Uh, the gym at the training center in Colorado Springs has cameras um, on each apparatus, and they have a delayed feedback, so they can get off the apparatus, go look at the video, and then confer with the coach about what skill and what aspects of that skill were, were good or were lacking. And then you've got to be able to basically get that skill nine out of ten times before you can even think about putting it in your routine. Because doing a skill on its own is one thing, but putting it after seven or eight other skills 
is entirely another thing. You've got to be very, very well. So you're so you're building so you're building a routine, one kind of skill, one kind of movement at a time. Is that how it goes? It's almost like exactly. It's almost like writing a song. It's like you know you're laying down the tracks. You know what I mean. Mm. So if, if 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 a routine has like 16 moves, it's like you know 16 different tracks that you're laying down one on top of the other. Yeah, that's a that's a really good analogy. And the, the, the idea is to combine those skills in a nice manner that flows um, very aesthetically. And so mm. you might have one specific specific skill that you just learned and then you have to confer with your coach and say well where can i put this should i put it at the beginning the middle or the end how does it connect with the other skills god. and what skills should i drop out in order to include this skill oh my god why would anybody want to be a gymnast Oh, it's fun. I'm joking. I'm joking. You know, you know I'm joking. I'm joking. Doctor, it's okay. He got the old-fashioned look from me. He knows. He knows better yeah, now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so are well, you using are you using 3D analysis as you did with uh, your yeah, golfers with your and golf. your throwers? Yeah. Well, n- yes and no. Okay. In, uh, in 1992 at the Barcelona Olympics, that's going back a long while, but yeah. we were commissioned by the IOC to do 3D analysis of the rings and the high bar. And we set cameras, six cameras up in the stadium stand uh, all around. And we looked at the high bar. Before the athletes would actually come in the gym, we set up a calibration frame. We filled it, filmed it. And then as long as we didn't move uh, the cameras, we were able to do 3D analysis on every move that the gymnast did. However, we would literally have to sit up all night digitizing each skill that's putting the, yeah. the mouse cursor on the shoulder the elbow nowadays we can do that um more efficiently but we're we're not quite there yet we're progressing to what we call markerless motion capture where we can just put, point the camera magic camera point the camera at the athlete and get the data that's coming and when that comes then we'll be able to really do 3d analysis in a very efficient way Wow. So let me ask you when you talk, since you are a vaulter, um, t- uh, can you break down for us um, from, you know, a biomechanics or physical uh, scientific point of view, um, the, the action of vaulting? Because you're you're and, and exactly what makes the vaulter uh, so good. So the big thing in vaulting is these days you've got to be a sprinter. I mean, that's one thing the gymnasts could really improve on is how well they sprint. They need to take sprinting lessons because they've got to get to that board as fast as they can to produce the kinetic energy yes. that they can turn into uh, the height of the vault. But then again, um, so if, you, if, you get too, if you get too much power and you get a, a gymnast to, to accelerate without control, you're going to lose everything in the vault, are you not? Yeah, and that's the risk you got to take. I mean, that's so the that's problem a- these days is they're going for uh, everything now. So, right. yeah, you've got to be controlled. But say you've got 100% of your speed and then you back off to 90 or 80%. I mean, the trick is to not back off um, very much because you need to convert that horizontal velocity into height and spin. Hmm. So you've got to hit that, uh, that board and then just fly past the horse, they're barely touching the horse. Honestly, uh, honestly people think that you actually post um, really hard and push with your arms. You don't really push with your arms much at all. Most of that velocity comes from the board and flies straight into the air. In fact, my master's thesis, I did analysis of vaulting for my master's thesis. I got uh, 
six of the athletes at the gymnasts at Arizona State University, and we analyzed them, and we found that the center of gravity never actually comes down onto the horse. It just keeps going up. Really? Um, so you just kind of tap the horse so, on the way through. So the horse is there for cosmetics. The, the horse is really there for cosmetics. It's just like, you, you know. You want it de de designed yep. it now, don't you? You want, yep. you, you, you want to let you someone. You know what I'm doing right now. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm coming up with a new <laughs> sport, okay? And it's called Death Vault, yeah. all right? Yeah. And instead of the horse, it's like, let's do the opposite. Since you barely touched the horse, like, let's do it so that if you touch it, uh, at, at a certain time or a certain pressure, if you touch it with more than a certain pressure, you get electrocuted. <laughs> you know, that's funny. That's called double mini tramp, and that's in another aspect of gymnastics called uh, tumbling and trampoline, T&T. &T. Oh. So they have that. Event. Have you been watching Mad Max again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Okay, yeah, so, so that, that does beg the question then, uh, Doc. Why have the why have the horse there all at, at all if 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 you're barely touching it? Because it's called vaulting, not mini tramp. I got you. There you go. Okay. You mentioned center of gravity now, and then I'm kind of combining that with the sprinting aspect we touched on just a minute ago. The the greatest sprinter of all time, Usain Bolt, coming in at about six foot six. Guess he's never really going to be the ultimate gymnast. But you've got long, rangy athletes sprinting, but gymnasts aren't that tall without me being rude um why are gymnasts not so as tall? compact yes thank you not as tall as usain bolt is there is there a scientific reason why we are we are getting our gymnasts like that rather than tall and rangy oh god yeah you'd scrape your feet on the floor on the high bar <laughs> oh, well, as long as it's a practical reason. <laughs> okay. And the rings, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's funny. Now I've come up with a new sport. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oversized oh, gymnastics. All right. Where you get guys, everybody is like as tall as Kareem Abdul Jabbar. And you just watch them flopping around and dragging their knees on the ground. <laughs> Don't be rude to big guys, Chuck. You know you're going to lose on that one. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but man. think about that. Then it's the levers that they have to control. It's the length of the muscle and yeah. the length of the lever that becomes very disadvantageous very quickly. Yeah, it does. So Thank the you. fact that they're not long and rangy means they have a great deal more natural control over the rotations and the spins, etc. Yeah, and and think about the rings. Think about the yes. cross on the rings, and think about the levers that you do on the rings. Those would be very very hard to hold. Yeah. Talking about the rings, and uh, what is it? Is it the Maltese cross? Yes. Yeah, uh, where they go into that sort of crucifix yeah, position. Like it, yeah. And uh, how do you, with gymnastics, because it's all, for me, I'm looking at it in a very layman's terms, obviously. It's a great deal, if not everything, to do with flexibility. But then you've got exercises like the rings where if you do not have power and strength, you are getting nowhere near executing any kind of routine so how do you how do you balance the two of strength power and flexibility in training and for your gymnast well that's why back in the old days when we had to do all around you were in fact an all-around gymnast you yeah. had to have strength flexibility power endurance now they are coming becoming more and more specialized and you have, have specialists on the rings you have specialists on the high bar and so you can see the differences in those athletes i mean the ring guys are just you know, buff. They're, they're yeah. really built really, really strong. The tumblers tend to be a little bit lighter and a little bit uh, smaller, perhaps. 
Hmm. How about the guys who do the pummel horse? Pummel horse? Well, Alex Nador is the, is the king there. He's actually the son of a, a friend of mine, Mike Nador, from uh, we were teammates at Arizona State. Uh-huh. And you've got to be extremely strong in the shoulders yeah. at the same time being very, very flexible. And then now with the uh, Thomas Flair, where you see them doing the circles with the, the straddle split, yes. you've got to be flexible as well. And you have to have a huge amount of endurance because those routines last for a long time now. So how do you how do you build a, a gymnast to, to be able to do a pummel horse routine for that length of time, but incorporating all of those different aspects? Do Is it... Is it quite simply you just wait for the naturally gifted athlete, gymnast rather, to turn up, or do you work to achieve that? No, no, it's just work. And I, it's funny you should mention pommel horse because that is one of the most frustrating events in all of gymnastics. I remember when I was learning, I could barely do a, a double leg circle, and you just work and work and work, and you've just got to have faith. You just keep working, and then eventually something clicks, and all of a sudden now you can start to circle. Mm-hmm. And as you start to circle, you can uh, you can do more and more. But it's it's definitely a strength and endurance. It, it was interesting for me because when I finished gymnastics, um, in I think you know I'm telling you how old I am now, but it was like eighty one, eighty two when I quit competing, mm-hmm. and I was working at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs at the time. This is my second time with the USOC. Um, I was able to get in the gym and work out. And I remember after six months of uh, finishing gymnastics, I got on the pommel horse and all of a sudden I could do all the skills I couldn't do <laughs> when I was a gymnast. It was amazing. It How was do you account like for my that? My body was learning. In a kind of, it's almost like it seeped in and my body got stronger and it's all, the, all the neurons just finally connected. And I just got up there and I'm like, wow, why couldn't I do this when I was a competitor? It was amazing. Are you glad the men don't do the beam? <laughs> I've done that. I remember doing a cartwheel one time and putting one one leg either side. Yeah, you you, you do that Ooh. once and you don't do it again. Yeah, wince. <laughs> I've done the beam once and my voice ended up sounding like this. Um, yeah, I have. To- I mean, I have total respect for the ladies on the beam. They are just awesome. When you when you think that that you know they're they're mid air sometimes right. and landing on basically a plank of wood. What is it? Four inches across. Yeah, they tumble like they're tumbling on the floor. It's yeah. totally amazing. Now, is it true that women are able to do that because they have a, a naturally lower center of gravity and that's why the women are able to do the beam and men are not? Well, it all helps, but there's some tall girls out there. And Nastia Lukin was pretty tall. And okay. uh, so I don't know that that would... There's never, you can't ever really point to one thing. It's always a combination of things. Um, yeah, I think if I was a female and had to do beam, I, I would never have been a gymnast. That would have uh, put me out. But uneven bars and tumbling and vaulting, yeah, they're fantastic. Cool, man. As are you, Dr. Phil. Thank you to Dr. Phil Cheatham. Fabulous, fabulous, as always, with the good doctor. We are going to take our break. When we come back, a real treat. An Olympic silver medalist and a world champion from U.S. A team gymnastics. Yes, Samantha Pesek will be with us. We are thrilled. Hope you are. Stick around. She'll be with us very shortly. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx 
who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops Driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science proves it. PXG Black Ops Driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops Drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash startalk, code startalk. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. And this, of course, is Playing With Science. And today we are exploring the science of gymnastics. And I am thrilled to say our next guest is a gymnast of some repute. Samantha Pesek, silver medalist and world champion. And that silver medal, Chuck, came in the Olympics. That's correct. Welcome to Playing With Science. Yes. Uh, right, you were an all-round gymnast. Um, what was your favourite... Uh, discipline well like you mentioned i did all four events i did gymnastics for 21 years which is quite a long time but um and when i was younger it kind of just depended on whatever event i had the best day on that was my favorite but as i got older uh the beam definitely became my favorite event and my best event 
Oh my See, the, God. the beam is something that scares men. You know that, I've don't heard you? That. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. Absolutely. I can see how it would be very scary. And um, it was one of those events where I would go to bed at night praying that I would wake up and there would only be three events in gymnastics because I was so afraid of beam. Oh, um, so right. it's kind of ironic that it ended up becoming my best event and my favorite a little bit later down the line. Okay, so if I go through and Chuck, um, for you, as far as you're concerned, I will be speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. So back tuck, back pipe. Aerial cartwheel, round off, double pike dismount. Does that make any sense to you, Samantha? Yes. You see? Yeah. So uh, why don't you uh, go Wait, ahead? Can you do all those things? Um, I, I am privileged enough to say that I can say them barely. Mm -hmm. That's it. So uh, let me ask you this: when 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 you start out on the beam, how how early, how early do you have to start training to be uh, proficient the way you are? Well, I started gymnastics when I was two. Um, my Whoa! Dad, what took you so long? <laughs> yeah, exactly. My dad was a wrestler and a hockey player in college, and my mom was a gymnast in college. And um, I mean, I, I did a bunch of sports when I was younger. I played soccer and I danced, but I think gymnastics is actually the the sport that you can start the earliest. Yeah. Uh -huh. So um, it's actually good for foundation, no matter what sport you end up um, pursuing later in life. And so if you start that early, when when does when does competition start or is there any competition for for younger like, you know, I know I know once you get into, you know, um once you get into like uh, the Olympics and world champions and stuff like that, the, the 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 participants are pretty young, but is there a circuit before that? Yeah, so it's called the, the JO program, the Junior Olympic program, okay. and there's levels. So there's levels 1 through 10, uh, 10 being the best, and just to give you an idea, level 10s get college scholarships. Um, and then you have to qualify to the next level, which is the elite level, which puts you on track to compete for the national team and for the Olympics and things like that. So I actually started competing at level four when I was um, six years old, because that was how old you had to be to uh, start competing that level. Cool. Gosh. So now I got to I got to bring this up. OK. <laughs> uh, and Gary, take a look at this. Okay, and all for right. those of you who are listening to us or watching us on All Access, I'll make sure that I give this picture to our producer, uh, Johnny Bo, so that he can put it uh, as a part of the podcast. And remember, you can always find everything that we do as Star Talk related on StarTalkAllAccess.com. But uh, Sam, I got to ask you about this picture because there is a picture of you. You're doing the uneven parallel bars, okay? And... It is an awesome picture because you are fully released from the bar because you're going from one bar to the next and you are just suspended in midair. And it is super, super cool. Like, I mean, it is, it's just a great picture. The intensity of concentration on your face actually hurts my head. <laughs> like, that's how, like, you are so... Focused. If that was me, that would be fear. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm sure it was a little of that, too. Like, catch the bar, catch the bar, catch the bar. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And that's, like, panic in my face. And I'm only, um, I can only guess what, what picture it is. And I'm sure my face looks uh, the most unattractive. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm not going to say um, that. I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say, you look, you look really... Nice. 
phrased it as intense because that was uh, definitely the most intense time of my life is competing, especially for the Olympics and bigger competitions. But it was funny because when I was um, at my very first big competition, I was 12 years old and um, we competed on podium, which is a big surface. There was a big audience. It was where my idols were competing. So it was a big moment for me and they took a lot of pictures. And I remember it's probably the exact picture you guys are talking about. My body position was really good. My shape was good. It was an awesome picture. It looked like I was flying, but my face was just so atrocious looking because I wasn't thinking about my face. I was thinking about catching the bar, obviously. So I went into the gym and I decided that I was going to practice smiling in the middle of my, what is called a release move. Um, because I thought how cool would it be to be the only person to be able to smile in their release moves. So I went to (laughs) it and that was the only thing that I was thinking about. And I ended up almost like hitting my face on the bar, like eating the bar because I wasn't thinking about catching it. I was just thinking about smiling and Um, let me just tell you, my coach was not happy with me. He asked me what I was doing and, um, we had a good relationship. So I told him I was trying to smile and, um, he's this like very nice, respectful Chinese man. And he just like freaked out. He was like, why would you do that? And, um, so lo and behold, I, I never tried to smile in any of my, Oh, what a shame. (laughs) Wow. That's pretty. Speaking of spatial awareness and the fact that you're like, uh, in a release move like that. So, you know, what is it that's going through your mind in terms of, or is there anything going through your mind? Because when I look at these pictures of you, it's amazing. Like, your toes are perfectly pointed. It's like, you're, like your foot is almost in a straight line. I mean, every muscle in your body is in a tense, flexed um, contraction. But they they need to be. All, all of this elegance that has to be transmitted comes through this, and, and, and Samantha will be gaining points for having such elegant display of her... Yeah. Technique. And it's I mean, it's it's actually beautiful. I mean, seriously, you're 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 actually beautiful in this in these shots. But what's what's happening mentally, man? What What's going through your mind mentally when you're executing these moves? So it's crazy because a lot of people don't see the behind the scenes and we train between, you know, four and six hours a day or that's what I did. Um, and you know, you train so many hours so often it's, it's not, there's not an off season in our sport and you get this one opportunity in competition to do the best thing, the best job you can. And so you can really rely on your mental. We always say it's like 80 to 85% a mental sport. And then the rest is physical. And for people watching, it just looks like a very physical sport. So you can imagine how mentally demanding it is to make sure that you're in the right mindset before you go up. Um, I always felt like I did better under pressure. Um, so when I was younger, I used to tell myself like, people are watching you, people are watching you. And I would be like on the top of my game because I always loved showing off my, all my hard work that I put in, in the gym and the new skills that I had. Um, but the older that I got, the more I focused on each individual skill, you know, you almost have a mental, routine, um, as well as a physical routine. So you say the exact same things in your head, um, in the competition as you do in practice. So you have to train your mind to be that tough, no matter what setting you're in, or no matter how loud the crowd is cheering or booing or what, what have you. Well, what's meant, I'm, I'm interested with different 
sort of skills and, and techniques. And I'm looking at a Yuchenko down here, and I'm, I'm going to at one point ask you to explain that. How long would it take you to master that particular skill and or are other skills that you would use on the floor, on the beam, on the uneven bars, etc.? Well, that's a, that's a little bit of a loaded question because, um, like I mentioned before, there's, you know, levels. So each level is kind of building a foundation of gymnastics. So when you go to start learning these higher skills, you already have the really basic foundation. So oh, okay. really when you're starting to learn at your chinko or a higher level skill, um, you've already put in years of, you know, the groundwork, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and you start training, you know, into the soft foam pit or maybe with a spot. And then you have to do a lot of repetitions to build what is called, you know, muscle memory. Where so you can- Ch- Chuck's eyes have lit up because you've said soft cone pit. The, the foam pit. Foam pit, um, right. So he's just thinking he's just going to dive face first. Let me tell that. you something. That's uh, I, I, He's in a child. It's that's, just become very interesting. That's where I'm a Viking, the soft foam pit, okay? Oh, that's, man. We used to have to do conditioning on it. You did not want to go in the soft foam pit. <laughs> really? It sounds like yeah. so much fun. Was there one that particular was like the skill? Between competitive gymnasts, I feel like, and people that came in and did rec because everyone wanted to go in the pit and we would actively try to do anything but go in the pit because <laughs> it took so much energy to get out. Oh, uh, yeah, that, 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 I could see that being a problem because you, you're walking on big, giant pieces of foam. How, what, yeah. a, what, an, what a really clever way of getting conditioning into a, any athlete to say, right, now get out of there. <laughs> exactly. Mate, what was the most difficult skill you found for you to master? Bearing in mind the level that you did achieve, you've probably got a handle on all of it. Yeah. It, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that uh, you have a handle on all of them. I mean, you're a silver medalist in the Olympics. I mean, that's that's incredible. Thank you so much. Um, well, the most difficult skill that I ever did, and at the time there was only a few girls in the entire world that were performing this skill, and it was called a double-double. Um, it's two flips and two twists in the air uh, before you hit the ground. And it was extremely scary. It was one of those where I was like, you know, let's go. Don't freak out. You know, you can get really, really hurt if you kind of freak out in the middle of it or you don't commit fully. And so um, that was definitely the scariest skill and the most difficult skill that I ever competed. Are you aware of the the science that's involved in a double-double, a twist, a turn and all the rest of it? Or do you just say, look, I'm fearless. I'm doing this no matter what? (laughs) Um, I probably would have been better off if I did know the science because I like to know how things work and I probably wouldn't have been as, as afraid, but to me, it just seemed like whenever I would think about it, so impossible that you could do two flips and two twists in the air without hitting the ground. So I think the less I thought about it, the better. Wow. It is a wow, by the way. Is there, (laughs) is there any science that brings, that comes to your training that helps you? I mean, when you are, when you were training? Definitely. I mean, things, not that we thought about, oh, this is the science of the skill, but, um, you know, the angle that you have to hit to, you know, take off a certain direction, you know, if you're, if you're doing a twisting skill, if you're doing a triple full, your angle to the floor has to be deeper as opposed to a flipping skill where you have to stand up straighter so you can go higher instead of distance. So things like that that you learn in the gym that you you don't necessarily classify like, oh, this is the science of the skill. But, yeah, we, we definitely learn, you know, you want to run fast on vault, but you don't want to run out of control. So what's the 80 percent of your speed 
to, you know, stay in control, but also be the fastest you can go while being in control. So different things like that. And, you know, when you're doing those release moves, like we were talking about earlier of like, what angle do you have to let go? How high, how long are you going to be in the air? When should you reach to catch the bar? And it's definitely building the muscle memory of the science of the skill. Wow. That, man, I got to tell you, it's, it is just a phenomenal accomplishment to perform at the level at which you have uh, when you look at the amount of training and the dedication necessary mm. to get to, to where you are. I mean, uh, just, just, just congratulations. Kudos to you. And the fact Thank that you, you did it, the fact that you did it representing, sorry, Gary, sorry, Don't Gary. Be. No, no, no. Representing the USA, baby. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks. It, it's actually... You know, I still think that it's surreal because when I was five, it was the first time that I decided I wanted to go to the Olympics. I saw the 96 team win gold um, in Atlanta. And as a five-year-old, I just told my parents I was going to go to the Olympics. And I'm pretty stubborn. And my parents always told me I could do whatever I set my mind to. But I don't think anyone really understood how serious I was about this dream. And, you know, teachers in school would ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up. And all I wanted to do was go to the Olympics. And so I didn't really understand how much work <laughs> and how difficult it was going to be down the line. But it started at a, as a young age. And um, I, you know, it was always in the back of my mind during training and during the hard days. See, this is what, I, this is what I love about talking to elite athletes like Samantha, they will start with a dream, just like any any young person. Yes. But something makes them see it through. Something makes it dumb. And right. not just, I wish, what if. All right. of those questions don't exist in Samantha's life. She knows. She's she done knows. it. She's been there. Okay, That's Samantha, be, before that, we let you go, I have this wonderful question. It's wonderful in my mind, probably the only place it's wonderful. Um... <laughs> I, 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 high school back in England, I, I was blessed to have a, a sports master who was very, very involved in British gymnastics. So I kind of had a feel and we had sort of world champions and international <laughs> gymnasts around me in school. And I wasn't one of them. Um, but having got that kind of feeling for gymnastics, I would always watch the Olympics. And it intrigues me. Do you get to choose your own music for the floor routine <laughs> or does someone just dump it on you? Um, um, I think it depends on who your individual coach is. And okay. then you know, at the higher level, you have to have it approved by the national staff. Um, Understandable. So to, that goes in to think about it. Like, yeah, you want it to match your personality. That's like the number one thing. I would never have like a graceful beautiful uh ballet floor music yeah. if yeah. you will because i was more of a powerful gymnast so i needed a little extra oomph from the music so there was a lot that went into picking um music and your style and i was definitely i like to be a little bit more smiley and show off and have a little bit more fun i wasn't really the serious girl so i had to pick music that kind of fit my personality but also was serious enough for the elite world. So it was a, a difficult balance sometimes, but yeah, I, I always had a say in what um, floor music I had. Good. Because I always felt at some point that that suited the gymnast perfectly. And yeah. another time I'd be watching and thinking, there's what? no way you chose that. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't say the same for everybody because no. I definitely know some gymnasts that they, they was out of their control completely. Um, but again, my coach and I had a really good relationship and I felt like we were always on a team and he respected my opinion, which I really appreciate. 
Um, and so that was definitely something where I, I felt like I needed to uh, interject and give my opinion in. Wow, fabulous. Samantha, before you let, we let you go, what are you doing with yourself at this moment in time uh, in terms of career-wise? So I'm actually doing sports broadcasting, um, and that starts up again in January with the NCAA gymnastics. But I was fortunate enough to go to Rio and cover the games for NBC. Um, and it was my first time back at an, at an Olympic Games um, since I was competing. So it was a really, really neat opportunity for me to just be surrounded in that atmosphere again, but on a completely different level. Yeah, how did that um, feel having to stand on the outside looking in? It was, it was cool because, you know, when you go as an athlete, you have tunnel vision, you have your job and you know what you're supposed to do. So you don't really think about anything else. So it was really cool for me to see, um, how everything else works on the other side of other side of the fence. Um, it was a lot less stressful, let me tell you. Um, And it was nice that, uh, you know, my, my USA girls had such a good, um, you know, week. Didn't they just? Yeah, so it was it was a fun. I had, I shed some tears. I was so proud, um, just because I know what it's like to be in their shoes and to finally have your dream come true. And um, that's kind of what I see, not just from the USA girls, but there was a few other girls that had such a fantastic Olympic Games that I feel like that I can really understand what that was like because it put years and years and years. You know, gymnastics is one of those sports that people tune into once every four years at the Olympics. Um, And then they kind of forget that those girls are training four years before the next one. And so it's really cool um, to know that firsthand and to really appreciate all the girls that are training that hard around the world. Well, we really appreciate you. We do. And uh, hopefully our listeners will now appreciate that it's not just every four years and it's in a year-round thing. So, Samantha Pesek, thank you so much for being our guest today. It's been wonderful to talk to you and uh, quite enlightening. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Well, Chuck, that's it. Another Playing With Science. Are you you thinking about taking up gymnastics now? Absolutely. Uh, The first thing I'm going to do is actually learn to touch my toes. And I hope I get scored a 10. And I'll leave you with that thought. That's it from Playing With Science. That has been the science behind gymnastics. If you can touch your toes, you're a better man than Chuck and I. Um, Or lady for that matter. Look forward to your company soon. Bye-bye. Meet Janice. Unfortunately, her thing is sneeze attacks every time spring returns. I literally sneezed 40 times in a row once. (laughs) Luckily for Janice, at the Walmart pharmacy, she can get over-the-counter allergy relief for things like sneezing, runny nose, and watery eyes, fast with online pickup or delivery. No more suffering? That's nothing to (laughs) sneeze at. (laughs) I see what you did there. Help survive allergy season with fast online pickup or delivery from Walmart. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.